You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Jessica Gilmartin, the head of revenue marketing at Asana. If you think about the iconic companies that have this halo effect and that have lasted and existed for many, many years, it's because they have always invested in their brand and in building brand loyalty and brand affinity. And that will get you through the tough times where maybe your acquisition marketing isn't paying off. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Nordic podcast. Really happy that you choose to spend some time with us today. Always grateful for you being with us. Yeah, definitely. And, and sometimes we get DMs and emails from you guys saying like, hey, I was walking my dog or I sat in the car and I listened to this particular episode and I, I thought it was so inspiring. And for us, that means a lot. If we produce content that you guys can learn from, that you guys will be inspired from, that means the world to us. And actually the big shout out should be to all of you listeners, but also to the people coming to the show here, sharing their stories and their experience. So just keep it up and keep it coming our way. If you have any suggestions, we'll gladly take them in. That's what makes the wheel spin here. Yeah. And one thing that we want to announce here is that we have opened applications for our CEO network and executive networks for 2023. So if you're interested in those, head over to sasnordic.com, check on the community and you will find information and how you apply for this network. We we had 125 CEOs and and above 200 executives for this year and we hope to to meet you there, um, basically. But today we are going to continue to talk about demand generation and we are joined by Jessica Gilmartin, the head of revenue at Asana. We had her actually at as the final speaker at Celsius Digital 2022 a couple of months ago, and we are happy to continue the talk with her a little bit more in depth. Today we are joined by Jessica Gilmartin, the Head of Revenue Marketing at Asana. Welcome to the SaaS Nordic Podcast, Jessica. Thank you very much, Thomas. Very happy to be here. Yeah, and we're super excited to have you here. And you may or may not remember this, but we actually met the first time at a Saster event earlier this year in Barcelona and you actually hosted a session there and after that I was like ran up to you and was like Jessica we got to do something together so I'm really proud that my uh, ability to run really fast helped out and, and here you are so it's great to have you here good that we got some value for the money sending you to Barcelona Daniel it was worth every penny <laughs> you should see the sangrias I had in some of the rooftop bars <laughs> uh, but all jokes aside Jessica for the ones that may not know you can you tell us a little bit about yourself I can. So I am calling today from California. Uh, I have been in Asana for about two and a half years, and I run basically our enterprise marketing uh, globally. And if you're unfamiliar with Asana, we are a project management platform, basically enables people to understand who's doing what by when. And so it's a really great way to orchestrate your projects. Uh, And I joined Asana because I had used it at my last company and it changed our lives. Uh, And it was just this amazing product. And so I was super excited to join. But I've been in marketing for many, many years, many different roles. I have built marketing teams, run them at big scales. I built sales teams. Um, I was an investment banker in a former life. So I've kind of just done a lot of different things, but love marketing and and really passionate, particularly about enterprise marketing. All right. 
And I think you mentioned it, but could you just come back to a little bit about what falls under your umbrella, your responsibilities in your role at Asana? Yeah, it's a lot of different things. So I run all of our international marketing. I run our channel marketing, our marketing operations, our demand generation, and uh, our account-based marketing, and also our lifecycle marketing. Wow, that's that's quite a bit. So I have to ask you, like, personally, and if you're honest with us here, what is the most fun with marketing? I just really love, well, there's two things. I love the creativity. So I love that marketing changes so much constantly. And so there's never a playbook, right? You always have to come in uh, every day and sort of be excited and be open to what is changing. And like the thing that worked last year is not the thing that worked this year. And also, you know, direct mail, which was huge, like in the 80s, is all of a sudden this big thing again, right? Like when email came out, you're like, I'm never going to send another direct mail again. And now everybody is like, why would I ever send email? It's all about direct mail. And so I love that you, there's always just opportunity to try things and that, um, you know, there, there's always new platforms that are coming out, new channels and new ways to reach customers. And the customer, the way that customers want to interact with us is always different. Um, and the second thing that I love is I love working with sales, which is why I really like enterprise marketing. Right. Um, I love this idea that we as marketers can help somebody, um, you know, really make that direct connection with the customer. And I have deep empathy for salespeople, right? Like uh, if a marketer doesn't hit their number, we can, we still get our same salary. But if a salesperson doesn't hit their number, you know, they may not be able to afford their mortgage or be able to, you know, uh, to, to um, pay their bills. And it's very fulfilling for me to be able to support a salesperson and being able to be successful. Why, thank you for that. I am 40 years old, always worked in a sales function for, for B2B SaaS companies. It is the first time I feel this empathy from a marketer. And with all respect for all the marketers I've worked with, great people. But thank you so much for that. So T Thomas has been sitting on the cushy side and I'm the one <laughs> not being able to pay my mortgage. The difference <laughs> is that the sales guy in Sweden is uh, well you know they they have a pretty good foundation uh, to to lie back to but but of course i mean if you don't sell anything then you're screwed anyway but uh, could you just tell us how big is your team that you're working with so we can't disclose particularly how big my team is okay sure so i would say that it is a pretty widely distributed team across all of our major offices and it's pretty significant because we are making such a big investment in our enterprise business. Um, if, if you follow Asana at all, what you will see is that we have um, been really successful in moving up market, which is great. It's kind of the holy grail. It's what every company wants. I've, every company I've been at, you know, start selling to small and medium businesses and it's a great business. We want to continue supporting them. Uh, but what's the, 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 um, the difference and, and the way you win a category is really by building your presence among mid-market enterprise companies. And so we've really made a very significant investment at Asana with our product, with our sales, with our marketing. And I think my team is sort of a reflection of that. So, so is there any particular verticals that uh, you know, Asana suits uh, better? Yes, I think in the U.S. you'll notice that we sell to most of the major tech companies. But I think it's also that the U.S. just happens to have a lot of tech companies that are very forward thinking. You know, if you look at other regions, I think our strength in different verticals is just related to how, uh, you know, what percentage of the big companies are in those verticals, right? So Europe tends to have lots of manufacturing. And so we tend to have a lot of manufacturing companies there and retail and financial services. So I, I'd say right now, um, we're probably in our, in our life cycle of uh, marketing and sales. We're less focused on verticalization, which I think tends to be later on. We tend to be more focused on, you know, who, who does this make sense for? 
uh, and selling to those. For us, we know that we sell really well to teams okay. and we make teams work better together. And so we just really focus on companies where they have to work together as teams to solve a problem, to launch a campaign, to launch a product. That's sort of where uh, we fit really well. But, but is there any particular buyer persona? Yeah, and that's the inter- that's one of the reasons I was really attracted to Asana is that it's very different than a traditional like enterprise sale, right? So I and I'm sure you are used to this, which is you know you have a very specific persona that you sell to, and it's a sort of a tops down, right? So one of my last companies we sold to heads of HR, heads of talent, and that was it, and that was like all day long, and we would sell to one person, and then they would push it down the organization. But with our model, which is a hybrid product-led growth, sales-led growth model, you kind of have to really build in a very sophisticated customer journey and then understand how to sell to different people at a different time. So for example, um, the first people that tend to use Asana are marketers or operations people. And so it's really important for us. I mean, we, we have a million personas that we can sell to because like HR uses us and loves us for different things, but you kind of have to focus, right? So we say, we know that we have really perfect product market fit with marketers and operations. And so, you know, we sort of start with that. And so then you have to understand how do you get teams like that to adopt us and use us and love us? And then we use that adoption and that love for Asana to figure out how do we help them evangelize and champion Asana throughout their organization so that we can go into some of the more senior executives, those more centralized buyers with a, uh, a consolidation approach and more of a top-down model. And that's been the really interesting part of the journey. And that's really where I try to spend a lot of my time on is, hey, like, what is the right message for the right person at the right time? Because it is dramatically more complex um, and more sophisticated and harder than a traditional top-down model. So is this normally you go in and you're not replacing anything. It's a new way of working or, or I don't know, maybe you are replacing something that they all would have. And if so, what is that? Yeah, I'd say 99% of the time we're replacing a spreadsheet and replacing email. Okay. So it's people that are, you know, imagine a world where you're emailing, right? Like imagine for your conference that you just had, right? So Thomas is probably emailing Daniel with a million Hey, remember to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? <laughs> Just making sure. Did you get my email? And then Ex- exactly like that. We are spreadsheets, so we are okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or you're emailing your vendors, and you're emailing your um, your speakers, yeah. and you're uh, and you're emailing your creative design. And imagine if all of that now was at one place where you could say, okay. Daniel, I'm assigning you this by this date, and it's dependent on these other three things. And oh, this other thing moved, so now Daniel can't get his thing out on time. And so it just creates this level of visibility that you just cannot have with emails and spreadsheets, which is why when I last had it at my last company, it would like literally changed our lives because we were just having such a hard time getting campaigns out. Because and this is just such a um, universal issue. Like this is something that every team goes through. Um, and so just having that visibility and accountability is pretty game changing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. All right, very cool. So uh, let's see if we can put some numbers uh, behind Asana and the progress that you guys have done. So we normally ask people here, we will ask you the same thing. Um, 
share with us whatever numbers you can in terms of ARR, how fast you guys are growing, you know, the markets you're present in and, and, and stuff like this. Yes. Well, we're a public company. So all this information is, uh, is available for everybody to see. We recently announced our earnings. Um, so we announced revenues in Q2 of 135 million. So that's GAAP, obviously not ARR, which we don't disclose. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we're growing... Uh, we beat our revenue guidance by 6%, which is fantastic. We're growing quite quickly. Um, and, uh, and I think obviously the, the pandemic accelerated that growth, but we are still seeing pretty strong growth, uh, both in the U.S. and internationally. So it's, it's been an exciting time to be here. I joined during the pandemic, and it's been fun to see the, the pretty rapid growth of the industry as well as Asana. Um, I, I don't remember the last time we disclosed the number of countries we were in, but we have teams all over the world and all the places that you would expect us to be across um, the U.S., Europe, uh, Japan, and, and Asia. I mean, it, it goes without saying. You guys are a public company, super big. If everybody wants to, to, to know more, they know where to find you because it's, like we said, it's in the public records. But today you are here because we're going to talk about demand generation and specifically how you can go about to build a business case and how you get started. Because there's this trend in our industry right now, you know, it's, uh, I don't know really what I think about it. Uh, uh, lead generation versus demand generation. Can they coexist? Can they not coexist? But there's lots, lots of companies that are just taking their first initial steps into demand generation and need to prove that this is the right way to move forward. But let's start from the beginning, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there might be listeners here that are not familiar with with the term demand generation. So, could you just say in short, describe what is it? Yes. If you ask 20 marketers, they'll get 20 different answers. So, I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you my answer. Yeah. Um, and so, so, my answer is really, you know, it's, it's the art of identifying and engaging high-value customers with content that drives them into the sales pipeline. Okay. All right. That is a good definition. We actually have not heard that one before. <laughs> hmm. That makes me think. Not in such a clear and concise, like one to two liner way. It usually becomes a longer description, right? Yeah. You'll, you'll find in every interaction with me that I like to keep it short and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So with this, with this definition, and you, you managed to, to get everybody to understand what demand generation is in your organization. As a marketer or a CMO, if you're a CMO listening to this, Jessica, how do they start building a case? Yeah, so uh, you, you heard before that I have a deep empathy for sales. And, um, and I think one of the most important things that a marketer needs to understand is that they have to align themselves with sales. If they put themselves on the opposite side of sales, then they're just never going to be successful. Because ultimately, right, like we are here to, to make money and we are here to hit our sales targets. And, and we, we all have to do product, HR, the, the culinary team, every single person at the company is in service of hitting a revenue number. And so that's like the number one thing that any CMO has to understand is that they have to be deeply embedded with sales and they have to work with the sales leads and, and actually work with at every single level of sales to say, what do you need? Right. And like, I am here to help you to, to get what you need. And so the very first thing you do is say, what are your pain points and where are you stuck? And then you start incrementally with a hypothesis to unstick each of those big issues that they have. All right. That's where you start. But when it comes to your organization and the roles you need, the people you need in order to get this going, what, how to go about that? Yeah, so it depends a lot on the type of organization that you have. Um, so you always need a good foundation. Regardless of where you are, 
you have to start with good data and good systems. Um, so make sure your systems are set up properly. Make sure you have an analyst. Make sure you have uh, good Salesforce data and make sure that your analyst is working with the Salesforce admin to set it up in a way that when you start running campaigns, you'll be able to sort of tag them and understand their success. That is like fundamentally the number one thing that you have to do. Uh, and then what you have to do is sort of say, what are the reports and what's the kind of data and what's the kind of campaigns that I'm running? So you can make sure that you are setting up your systems and setting up your data in a way that you'll be able to capture that afterwards. The worst thing you could do is start running a bunch of campaigns, spending money, and then having no way to track whether that's successful. That becomes a losing proposition for everybody. So I'd say like fundamentally, number one, set up your foundation. Um, number two is then start to think about uh, what are the uh, what is the kind of business model that you have, and then what are the marketing activities that you need to support that. So, for example, if you are a true enterprise company selling multi-million-dollar ACV deals, you're going to need a very different demand generation team and set of activities than if you were selling 5K or 10K or 20K ACV, like high volume, low ACV. And so, like if you start with that then I think that can help provide some clarity around the types of things that you need to do. What is the difference? I mean, if I have a high ACV or a low ACV, how does that affect, you know, the team? Yeah. So, for example, if you're a low ACV, high volume play, one of the things that you probably want to do right away is build your email database because this is going to be about volume. Okay. And so you're going to want to figure out how do you build like a reasonably high quality email database. So it's not just about buying leads. That's never very helpful. But you know, you could do content syndication, you could do paid ads, paid lead gen, putting out really good content, SEO, like anything that you can do to sort of generate awareness to drive people into a funnel. The email database is going to be absolutely gold to you because um, that's how you're going to be able to have a foundation to have an ongoing conversation with your customers. You know, webinars are always really effective, um, high quality content, um, nurturing, right? You want to get those to the salespeople at the right time to be able for them to have the right conversation. So that's like a very reasonable play to start with if you are a volume play. If you are a, a high ACV play, that doesn't make a lot of sense because really what you're trying to do is find um, a very small number of the right people that are very qualified to be able to have a conversation because you're going to have super long lead cycles. And so you're going to need to like really spend a lot of time with each of these um, prospects to drive them through the funnel. So that would more likely look like account-based marketing. So you're most likely going to have a book of business that you've agreed on with sales. Um, you're going to do multiple different forms of outreach. That's where like gifting and direct mail would come in. Um, you might want to do events. I mean, that's, that's a very classic event strategy. Um, you might even want to look at uh, tools that allow you to look at, um, to, to do marketing, intent-based marketing. Right. So, you know, who's out there already looking for things like this and then doing sort of custom intent-based marketing to them. Um, and then the main thing, honestly, is that you're just going to want to do joint sales marketing plays. So just making sure that the sales team has really great content to drive uh, to drive people to as part of an outreach strategy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I also want to come back a little bit to uh, what you said here initially regarding building the case. You, you got to figure it out with the sales folks and align and make sure you 
somehow prove at least on a piece of paper initially that you will be able to solve the pain points that they have and help them reach their targets and, and thereby pay their mortgage. Is there anybody else in the organization you have to convince equally or to a lesser amount before you get cracking here? Yeah. So obviously um, the CEO and the CFO, uh, you really want to make sure that they're aligned. You want to make sure that they understand the strategy and that you all agree on the, um, on the um, success measures, right? So if you, if you have decided that you and the salesperson have decided that X is the right measure, but you haven't agreed on that with your finance person or your CEO, when it comes down down to your budget and your budget for next year and your headcount, you know you, it may be harder for you to be able to achieve that if they disagree or they don't understand the value that you provided. And so uh, I would say that it's really important to agree upfront on what are you trying to achieve, what are the milestones, and what what gets unlocked if you achieve those milestones. I think that that really helps the conversation. Um, the other person actually that's really important to work with are the rest of the marketing leads, right? Because, you know, when you all work together, it's so much more powerful than you're working in silos. And so I think one of the most important things for you to agree on is, hey, who is your target customer? How are you going after them? What content do we already have that we can use as part of our demand gen? And then how do all of the pieces of marketing fit together to make sure that we have a plan that's aligned and all driving to supporting sales? Yeah, and I think that that's that's a really really good piece of advice. And one thing and one obstacle we see some of the people in our network having is they feel that uh, if we go all in demand generation, short term it will affect our uh, lead capturing ability or lead generation ability, and maybe we will show worse numbers for some quarters until demand generation is fully ramped up. I don't know if that's a valid concern or not. Uh, if that's the case, how do we mitigate that risk? Because nobody wants to see a couple of quarters going in the wrong direction. I think it just depends on what the metric is. So if your metric is leads, then it will. I would say that no marketing team should ever have a metric of leads. That's not a, that is not a metric that anybody except for a demand gen marketer cares about because it doesn't actually drive uh, long-term value and it doesn't drive revenues. It's it's the easiest thing in the world to drive leads. Like literally the easiest thing in the world because you can pay any vendor any amount of money and get leads in. It's really hard to turn those leads into revenue. And so um, the, the the metric to... Fo- so, so yeah, um, you will definitely drive fewer leads if you focus on demand generation, if you focus on pipeline but that is 100% the right thing to do for the business. And every single marketer should measure themselves on some real revenue metric. The nice thing about marketers uh, aligning on a revenue metric is that it creates really strong incentives for marketers and sales to work together to figure out how do you, um, how do you pass those opportunities. And it actually uncovers a lot of messiness and a lot of slippage in the system. So when, when I move my team to focus on pipeline versus leads a couple of years ago, we discovered an end, endless opportunities for, um, for improvement around lead routing, lead scoring, lead follow-up. Uh, and we never would have discovered that unless we had this push because all of a sudden everybody cared about this one thing. 
three ways to fail in sales, brought to you by Memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, that's just boring. Three, forget the CRM. Probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. So we talked about the organization before, and maybe you have something to add in that area. But one question I had was, who can drive this uh, initiative internally? You mean if you don't have a head of demand yet already? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think uh, I, I think it depends a lot. I mean, I think it has to be in marketing. I think there's a, a, a particular set of sort of understanding of marketing channels where it makes sense for a marketer to do it. I think generally at any organization, there's going to be somebody that understands some form of acquisition, right? So even, even if that person doesn't really understand lead gen, but if they understand acquisition, they can, I think, intuit their way to figuring out what are the additional channels that you can sort of add on to. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, doing their research, looking at what other companies do, you know, I think looking at like what what are some best of breed, you know, SaaS companies doing yeah. to to drive leads. Like go to their website, see the content that they put on there, see the calls to action, see where they're putting, um, you know, see where they're putting different uh, pieces of content and form fill outs. Like just start there, right? Just start with with what are other people doing, and then you can sort of start start there. Yeah. So, do you have a head of demand generation on your team or? Well, that's technically me. Okay, yeah. And I, I sort of fill a lot of jobs, but I would say that I don't actually do that on a day-to-day basis. I've got regional leads in each of our regions that sort of function as heads of field marketing slash demand generation. And each of them, and they're much, much, much better than I am <laughs> at it. <laughs> so thank God I'm not the one directing their day-to-day activities. Um, but they're each thinking about what is the portfolio of activities that allow me to hit my pipeline number. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So you touched also a little bit about um, don't measure based on leads, measure based on revenue. Can you clarify a little bit like what does it mean when you're measured by revenue? Yeah. So I think it, it um, every organization will look a little bit differently, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you, some, some organizations will look at like stage one pipeline. Some will look at stage two pipeline, which is qualified pipeline. I think very few companies will look at closed revenue. I think if you have a 100% ABM model, that's actually probably the right way to go is to look at revenue. So I think it depends a lot on the type of company that you are. So if you are a um, very high volume play where there's not a there's not an attribution issue mm-hmm. and there's like a pretty clear distinction between leads that are coming in and pipeline that the sales team is generating that I think you can sort of say, hey, like we're just gonna have a very simple single touch attribution model where you know this, the uh, lead, the, the marketing team is metriced on early stage pipeline. Right. Because once it gets to a salesperson, they're really just um, using those leads to then turn that pipeline into close one. Um, so I think that that's like a reasonable way to start is I'm gonna look at it. So and every, basically every demand gen marketer will have a number that is tied to 
sales pipeline, an early stage sales pipeline. Right. And so they're looking, you know, and then you obviously have to do a really good job of making sure that your attribution and your reporting and your systems can measure and track uh, all the leads that are coming in. They're tagged properly so that you can run reports and say, yes, like I drove, I ran like four webinars. I drove five campaigns um, and it drove this many leads, this many MQLs, this much early stage pipeline. So that's like typically the way that I would set it up. Um, the other way that you could do it, which again, it's really, this really makes sense in a, if you're just a true field marketers and you're sort of supporting the sales team in closing existing pipeline is you would say they're responsible for a book of business or a set of revenue. You know, might even say, say, Hey, the marketing, this, this marketer is responsible for X million dollars of revenue from these Y accounts right. because their job is then just figure out all of the activities that they can drive to help close these deals because attribution is a little bit murkier. All right. I mean, as a marketing organization, you have a, a lot of things to cover. I mean, it's branding, maybe also employer branding, it's performance marketing is, uh, and so on. So how do you sort of fight for your percentage here of the budget or how do you make sure that you can allocate, allocate a decent budget so you can, you know, succeed in this area? Yeah, so uh, that, that's a, always a really hard question. I mean, that's honestly one of the hardest things about marketing is deciding um, where to allocate budget. So we have marketing leads, each of which have a different stage of the funnel. So I have a fantastic counterpart who runs our awareness marketing, and she is the one who is responsible for um, basically how do we get our general audience, which is knowledge workers, to understand who Asana is and to be aware that there is a categorical work management. Um, that is very different than another counterpart that I have whose job it is to drive users to our website to sign up, right? And their KPIs are very different. And it's very different than my job, which is how do I get people to engage with our content that are senior level decision makers and turn those leads into pipeline. And so, right, there is a fixed pie. And I think, you know, we have to look at it together. And I think the, the key thing is you have to really build a strong level of trust and you have to have the right leaders that are focused on what's right for the company and not what's right for them. And so all of us have conversations constantly about, um, you know, do you need money? Like, do you need money for this big event? We didn't budget that. Can I take money away from my initiatives to give to you? What does that mean? I'm fine with it as long as the company understands that that means I won't be able to drive X. And I think it's just having those conversations, right? So I think like we're always willing to give and take headcount and budget as long as we're having uh, very clear uh, conversations around the trade-offs. Right. And so, uh, so I, I can't just give, you know, uh, somebody else money be, uh, with you know, just willy-nilly because that is going to mean that I can drive less pipeline. Right. But I can if I have a conversation with our CEO and our head of sales and say, hey, we think that this other thing right now is is more important. Um, it means that we're not going to be able to drive, you know, why dollars in pipeline? Is that okay? And if everyone agrees with it and recognizes the trade-offs, then, then those are the right ones to make. Right. Uh, I think the, the worst thing that you could do, though, is focus on the short term and focus only on acquisition marketing because you know that you can get a return on there without focusing on brand and focusing on awareness. Like, you have to put money towards that. You're never going to be able to see a clear return, but it is so important. Like, it is... Um, if you think about the, the iconic companies that have this halo effect and that have lasted and existed for 
for many, many years, it's because they have always invested in their brand and in building brand loyalty and brand affinity. And that will get you through the tough times where maybe your acquisition marketing isn't, isn't paying off. Right. So it sounds like there's like obviously a lot of stakeholders here that are, that have a stake that are interested that you get to, you know to get essentially also sometimes the buy-in from. So if you're new to this, how do you grow that confidence and how do you become that influential demand marketeer? Like, is there a trick? Is there something you got to do? Like, you got to bring a cake to the office, or <laughs> no trick? Um, yeah, I wish I wish there was a magic bullet. Just like everything else, there is not. Uh, I I would truly say if you were this is your first time doing it. Uh, or if they're earlier in it, don't pretend that you know more than you do because people will see through that very quickly. And so I think the best thing that you could do if you're starting off is to say, I don't actually know. And then I'll say that all the time. I mean, especially with some of our new initiatives, I will be very honest and say, I have no idea if these are going to pay off. I don't know what's going to be successful. Um, and I think sort of going out with that from the beginning is really important. And I think you actually gain a lot of credibility by by just sort of sharing what you do and what you don't know. And I think the key is saying, hey, these are the set of hypotheses that, that I'm making. Um, this is what we're trying. Right. 80% of it probably won't, won't work because that's sort of how marketing is. Um, and this is how I'm going to quickly pivot and either like stop doing the things that we know aren't working or double down on the things that I, we will. And, and I think building, we, we had Asana, we call it co-creation, which is, yeah, and, and I think that's, that's one of our core values. And I think that that's like one of the most important things. And I think a lot of marketers have a hard time with that because they feel like they need to present something that's perfect and beautiful. And honestly, most of it is wrong. We know that. So just going <laughs> with this idea that this marketing it should be wrong because this is all about innovation and creativity. And it's all about like building a plan that is very specific for your company. And there's never been your company in your situation ever, right? Like that is just the definition is that every single company and every market is new. Um, and the playbook is going to be different. And so going in with this attitude from the beginning of, I'm not sure what the answer is. These are my hypotheses. These are, this is the plan. Do you agree with this? What would you change? You actually make it their plan. Yeah. And that's like the, the great part, right? Is that they are going to want to see their plan succeed um, versus like who, who you know, most people won't care if your plan succeeds, but they will definitely care if their plan succeeds. Yeah. So uh, I, I was about to ask you for three tips that you would give someone that are starting out with demand generation, but I think we already got the first one, right? Don't pretend that you know everything, yeah. but if you would give two more. Um, yeah. So I'd say number one is um, really mapping your current sales model and your customer journey and figuring out where the blockers are. Because if, uh, for example, if um, your team is flooded with leads, then like, does it make a lot of sense for you to focus on generating leads? Probably not. But if your team has like a lot of leads, but it's having like impossible time converting, even if it's not traditionally demand gen, should you focus on that? Like that's where the biggest challenge is. And so maybe there are things that you can do there that actually can help. And you can call that demand generation, right? But like ultimately what you want to do is make the most impact to the company and provide the best service to, to your company and to the business. And so number one is like mapping out where people are stuck, what, what people, how people are already interacting with you. And then basically putting yourself where you can make the most uh, impact. That would be number one. Um, number two, I would say like talk, just talk to other marketers as many as you can in the industry. Uh, understand the types of work that they do and just basically see what's most appropriate for your company, right? So you just kind of want to pattern match. 
and say like, hey, oh, this is a great idea or this is actually kind of interesting, but I don't know that that's going to fit in with what we do. And then um, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of talking to other people and understanding you know, what they do and what mistakes they've made and, and leveraging everything that I can from all the intelligence that is out there, right? There's millions of brilliant marketers out there. And so what can you take from them? What can you learn from them? Uh, that would be my, those would be my other two suggestions. Okay, super. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, we are closing in on, on the end of the, um, on the podcast today, but we would like to ask you, uh, what is in the future for Asana? Oh, uh, well, a lot, I guess I'm really excited just because we, we are, this is an enormous industry that, uh, sorry, enormous market that we have access to and very, very few people actually use a work management solution. And so I think that that's to me why I get up every day and come to work is because um, I think there's just massive opportunities and Asana is just really perfectly poised to take advantage of that. And I think when you have an amazing product and that people love and you've got this huge market potential, that's kind of this perfect nexus. And, you know, we just started on our journey of enterprise marketing. And so I think that like when I when I talk about what is next for Asana, I'll say specifically what's next for me and for my team is really um, building out our level of sophistication around enterprise marketing, how we speak to enterprises, um, how we uh, very specifically merge the bottoms up and tops down model, which hasn't been done before at our scale. And so it's where we're basically kind of solving a lot of problems that nobody solved before. And that is what gets me up every day is I'm, I'm a problem solver and the harder the better. So it, it makes me excited. Yeah, it sounds excited. Uh, is there anything particular that you are looking for right now? That I'm looking for? Yeah, if you get the wish. Oh, I wish I had perfect data and perfect systems. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't we all? Yes, exactly. I, yeah. yeah. Jessica, this, this was fantastic. Uh, lots of great tips and tricks here. I, I hope uh, all the CMOs and marketeers listening to this, they feel inspired after this session. I also want to ask you, who inspires you? Is there somebody you'd like to see on the show here? Well, you know, the, the area that we're thinking a lot about is intent-based marketing. And I think that the because of the um, death of the cookie and the rise of all these other third-party sources, I think there's a really interesting time to understand, you know, how can you be relevant and how can you find uh, people that are interested in your business and in your subjects in a different way. So that's something that we're thinking a lot about and how do we incorporate that into our signals and how do we get that to sales at the right time. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, let's try to follow that trail and see what we find. Uh, but uh, great having you, Jessica, and uh, see you around. Thank you very much. This is great. Thank you. Bye-bye now. All right, Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode besides that marketing is going to help you pay your mortgage? <laughs> I knew you would say that. I saw that on your smirky smile. <laughs> You've been waiting for years to say that. Well, thank you, Thomas. I appreciate it. Uh, lots of good stuff here from, from Jessica, like always. Uh, for me, you know, there were many good uh, tips and tricks and advice uh, throughout the entire episode. But one thing that I feel is worth mentioning again is marketing should be measured on revenue. Not leads, not website traffic or whatever it is. It is revenue. Now, revenue can be defined like different, like she said, you know, whether that's, you know, early stage pipeline, qualified opportunities or whether that's, you know, actually revenue, so closed deals. But the fact that it's revenue, that's how you unite your marketing and your sales team. I think that is the only way to do it. So it was 
nice to hear that from her as well. Yeah, and she was the head of revenue marketing, so it's the perfect title for this kind of message. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it was good to hear that from her. Like, I, I'm not sure, like, there's so many things. So is there anything that stood out to you? Well, what I thought was interesting is how she described a little bit how you organize yourself differently if you're working with a high volume product uh, with lower ACV versus if you work with with more larger deals uh, that yeah you had your email list that was important the different motions there um, but then it was ABM and other things when it comes to these long sales cycles and so on so uh, you definitely need to build up your uh, marketing department or demand generation sort of operation differently depending on deal size and, and probably a lot of other factors as well but um, yeah good stuff which reminds me and she, she did say something like you know oh, building a, an email list or a lead gen is super easy anybody can do that there's different <laughs> methods to do that. <laughs> I was like hmm Maybe we should dig into that in a separate session. Yeah, maybe we should get uh, by an hour uh, from her time. Exactly. All right, what else? Well, we are now in Q4. It's the most important quarter for any SaaS company and especially the sales guys, right, Daniel? Definitely, you live and die by Q4. Yeah, exactly. And for us, uh, this is where we're going to initiate some new initiatives that you will hear about soon. And we are also planning for Celsius 2023. Now we are in full planning mode again. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to what that can be. Yeah, definitely. And there's actually some old initiatives that are being uh, revamped a little bit. So we are actually accepting invites for our ceo network so we've been running the ceo network throughout the year here we're going to start a new cohort of ceos starting in january so if you haven't already signed up and want to stress test some of your ideas and problems with other ceos now is the time in a similar way we also have uh, open up invites for um, our executive networks so you know we have the networks if you're vp level or higher representing a company with 2 million euros in ARR, you can apply to join these networks group where we meet once a month to discuss relevant topics. So that is something that we're gonna work a lot with also now to close out and to build those groups before we kickstart in January. Absolutely, and if you're interested in this, head over to sasnodic.com where you can read more about this and apply, and where you also can find a lot of interesting, well-thought articles from our community. So check it out. And uh, besides that, if you enjoy the podcast, if you like what we do, head over to Spotify or Apple uh, podcast and give us a five star review or well, we hope you give us five stars anyway. And um, see you around. See you in the community and have a great week. Take care.